Good morning, everybody. I am not Laffy. I am Greg Ehrenberg. I'm filling in for Laffy at a doctor's appointment this morning. Apologies for starting a couple minutes late. Jordan Klein was having some technical issues, as has been the case on a lot of these strategy shows as of late. I think this is two in a row, Adam, that you and I have done together. Two shows in a row that we've done that we've had to start late because of Jordan. Yeah, I mean, it's really frustrating when you wake up early. You specifically <laughs> set an alarm clock. You wake up. You make sure you're ready to go. And then Jordan is having issues. Yeah, exactly. It is. It, I was I was ready to go hours ago. I certainly knew I was filling in for Lofty ahead of time. You were well rested and slept, uh, you know, an ample amount of hours. But you were certainly up early this morning yourself. But Jordan has told me the one way that he guarantees every show will start on time. You have to follow him on Twitter at Jordan Decline. He thinks that I cannot get him more Twitter followers. Go ahead and follow at Jordan Decline on Twitter. Let's get him some followers, and then his ex-girlfriend will feel scorned that she has left somebody who's so famous. So guys, follow at Jordan Decline on Twitter. Today's show is sponsored by No House Advantage. If you guys have not checked out No House Advantage yet, sign up using the promo code Osmo. All new users that use our promo code get a $25 bonus on their first deposit. Really different way to play DFS. These are prop-based DFS contests. Uh, Adam, just kind of overall thoughts, just in general on this slate, three games, we've got Brooklyn, Boston, we've got Philly, Toronto, uh, Chicago, Milwaukee. Do you have kind of just any sort of big picture thoughts about today's games? I'm excited to watch the Brooklyn and Boston game. Um, but I think from like more of like an overarching view, um, it's different than yesterday in that uh, you have Embiid, Giannis to a lesser extent, you know, Durant, Harden, Kyrie, but um we know that it's difficult to find good, cheap value in the postseason. And on a slate like yesterday, it's not as important. Like you could forego the PJ Tuckers of the world um, because the most expensive guy on the slate was $9,800 and you didn't even have to go up to Morant. Um, today, it's a little bit more important to, to you know, find some risky value guys because uh, Giannis and B, they're, they're, they're so good. Granted, they are both sub-11K on DraftKings for – um, some reason DraftKings, I think, deciding to make it uh, easy to make lineups today, but um, they're, they're still, you know, a little bit more expensive than we had yesterday. Yeah, and we do have the Toronto situation once again, where we got Gary Trent is questionable, Scotty Barnes is out, so not traditional value in terms of really cheap guys to play, but you know, like Fred Van Vliet looks really mispriced. But that aside, let's start talking about today's game, starting with that Brooklyn Boston game and. I didn't know what to think of this in the first game of the series, but I did think that there was some relevance to the narrative of that. It's Ramadan. Kyrie was playing an afternoon game. He wasn't allowed to eat all day. He wasn't allowed to drink. He was going to play an entire NBA playoff game where he's not allowed to consume any kind of water or anything. I thought that could be an issue down the stretch. I couldn't be, couldn't have been further from the case because on a day where Kevin Durant struggled, Kyrie Irving went completely nuts in Boston against uh, fans who were very warmly welcoming him into the arena back for the first time in, uh, in quite a while. But what do you make of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving as payoff options for game two? I had no idea Kyrie was Muslim until right now. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, they're going to need to play a lot of minutes. You, know, you got 42 minutes uh, from Kyrie last game. You got 41 from Durant. I expect very similar. Um, Boston's defense is, is really good, and especially if they're able to get away with what they were doing in game one. I mean, they were extremely physical with Kevin Durant. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to do that all series long or, you know, if you start getting some calls going Durant's way, which would really open things up for him. But both of these guys, I think, are, are, are good payoff options. They're not on the same level as Giannis and Embiid just because 
they have to play with each other. So, um, you know, whereas Giannis is like, obviously he's playing with Middleton and Drew, but Giannis is going to get his. Um, Embiid, you have seen, you know, kind of take a step back in the postseason. Harden's doing more. Um, kind of a similar thing with Kyrie and Durant. You know, you got the great game from Kyrie last time out. He shot really well. He really dominated that game. You could conceivably see that be Kevin Durant today, and, you know, Kyrie's not as good. But um, in tournaments, I think either of those guys are, are, are good. And then, you know, Bruce Brown at 6K. He's kind of the one other guy in this Brooklyn rotation that you can feel pretty confident in his minutes. He played almost 37 minutes last game. Everybody else, you're kind of at Steve Nash's whim. But um, Bruce Brown, one or the other, is going to get a lot of minutes. Yeah, and then as for the Durant versus Irving thing, and let me check to see what our most recent ownership is because I'm curious to see what the split is after Kyrie was so much better last game. Because going into that game, you know, Durant was the more popular of the two plays. And for today, we have it would help if I could spell Kyrie correctly while I was doing that. Sorry. So Kyrie's only projected for five percent ownership right now, and we have Durant at thirteen percent ownership over on DraftKings. FanDuel Durant is also only projected for 12% ownership, Kyrie at eight. Uh, those seem like really low numbers on both sites. And I know that we have guys to pay up for on this league, but certainly much more than we had yesterday where there's Durant, there's Irving. We've got the Sixers guys. We've got Giannis. Those seem like low numbers to me, though, when you can get Kyrie at 5% and Durant at 14%. The matchup against Boston obviously isn't ideal, but this game does have the highest total on the slate. And it stands to reason that in a 1-0 hold, these guys are both going to play north of 40 minutes. Do you think those ownerships are a little bit too light? Yeah, like I think it's a situation where I understand why the ownership is so low because I think that Durant and Kyrie are a little bit too close to Giannis and Embiid in terms of salary. But at the same time, I mean, it's a three-game slate. Like you, you kind of just have to take a step back. It's a three-game slate where you know Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to play 40 minutes apiece and you can get them at 13 and 4% owned. You know, you don't have to really go into detail there. Um, anybody who's, you know, familiar with NBA basketball is aware that Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving in a one-game sample can easily, you know, go for 60, 70 DraftKings points. And then just one other question, because we do have just a lot of guys to pay up for on this slate, and we have seen a negative correlation between Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because both of them are – not entirely scoring dependent, but for the upper bound limits of their ceiling, they are dependent on scoring. Does that make it so you wouldn't want Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in the same lineup? Yeah, like I'm not going to set a rule for it, but I, I don't think it's going to happen that often anyway, since neither of them project as, as great options. Um, you know, them getting into lineups, even one of them is going to be uh, kind of tricky. But um, yeah, like I, ideally, you're not going to have them together. If I'm playing one lineup, I'd pay attention to it. If I'm playing 150, I'm not going to pay attention to it. But um, I don't think it'll really happen anyway. And then one other thing I think we should talk about when it comes to the Nets is what do you make of the center rotation? Because Andre Drummond, who down the stretch of the year started to play increased minutes, he saw his playing time fall off in a big way to open up the postseason. So going up against Boston in that game, we did see Nick Claxton end up getting a little bit more run than I would have expected and Drummond left. So only 17 minutes for Drummond. That was the least he had played since... March 6th, and by the way, that game March 6th, also against Boston. Is this just something that we should read into and think that like, hey, he played limited minutes. It was the least he played since the last time he played against Boston. That maybe Steve Nash just views this as not a great matchup to get Drummond extended minutes. 
Yeah, I, I buy into the Claxton minutes. Um, so I, I buy into the Claxton minutes in in the sense of I do think he is better here than Andre Drummond is. I think he continues to get run over Drummond. I wouldn't be shocked if you start seeing neither center close. You know, maybe you get um, Patty Mills instead of Claxton, or you get. Uh, I mean, Curry was already in there. So um, maybe you get Dragic instead of Claxton, you get Mills instead of Claxton um, down the stretch. I think that's possible. But I do think Claxton plays more minutes than Drummond. Okay, shout out to uh, Ashisha just left us a super chat. Took down 62K on FanDuel last night. Appreciate you guys. Keep up the solid work. Let's go Nets. I agree with everything you said there. Uh, I appreciate Thank you for appreciating us. Thank you for telling us to keep up the solid work. Congratulations to you. But uh, let's go Celtics from my standpoint. That's where my rooting interests are. But uh, we certainly do appreciate the super chat. That, that, uh, that's an awesome win. Congrats. Yeah, the, very, very cool. I always like when people uh, when people come on and tell us they, they did it. Certainly, uh, I didn't last night, so it's good to see that, that you did because my slate sucked for me yesterday. Uh, I, I like all- stopped watching it after. I stopped even paying attention after like 30 minutes. I ended up making like 13K or something on NBA. Um, oh, nice. I, like gave up, I gave up like as soon as Bogdanovich had three fouls and then Bam got four. I just didn't even look anymore. And then at the end of the night, I looked. I was like, oh, cool. That worked out. Brandon Clark was so popular that I thought that Steven Adams was a good pivot play. Uh, turns out Steven Adams was not a good pivot. Play. Oh, they were talking about you. Okay. I, I saw people being like, uh, imagine doing a show 12 hours after touting Steven Adams. And I was like, all I said was that like, I wasn't confident that Steven, like in what Steven Adams minutes were going to be like, maybe he plays more. Um, I'm glad to know they were mocking you and not me. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's all on me. I definitely, it was, that was my entire Twitter feed last night was people celebrating playing a 50% owned uh, Brandon Clark instead of Steven Adams. I was certainly on the wrong side of that, but I guess in hindsight, maybe I would have pivoted with like Xavier Tillman. I don't know. It was, it was, it it was never going to be a spot where I was going to do well on that slate because I did not like the Brandon Clark chalk. Uh, That aside, talking about this slate, we've talked about the big men, Nick Claxton and Andre Drummond. Uh, One other Nets player I want to ask you about is Seth Curry because he was a really good fantasy producer for the Nets for a brief period of time. Some of that was due to Kyrie Irving being out, but he's also been dealing with an ankle injury that's really hampered him as of late. The minutes are still kind of there. The last handful of games, 30 minutes, 29, 34, 30, but we haven't seen quite the same efficiency or usage for Seth Curry. Do you view him as somebody who could potentially be an upside play for cheap that's kind of being slept on just because we're hurting for value on this slate? Yeah, I mean, at 4,500, yeah, he's, he's dealing with an injury and all of that. But um, in 150 lineups, at least, I'm certainly going to take some shots at Seth Curry. I'm not going to be very confident in it. But uh, same goes for Goran Dragic, you know, at, at 4K. Uh, he played 27 minutes last game. Like I said a minute ago, I wouldn't be shocked if maybe you start seeing the smaller closing lineups for uh, the Nets and Dragic picks up a few more minutes. So either of Dragic or Curry, I think you can take some shots at. Um, also, I wish I was as high as the guy who is in chat asking Josh questions like he's here. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that people should come into chat and troll Josh regardless of when he's on shows or oh, not. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm all for it. But uh, as Aaron Campbell wants to know, does Josh think, and I don't know, does he think me or you or Josh? I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, one of us he thinks Probably is Josh. Probably you because... Like, I'm on this show every single day, and you're not. So he probably just doesn't know who you are. 
Which also, I, 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 think Jordan, right I, I think Jordan had had no clue we've ever done a show with each other before or something. Because th- before when when uh, Jordan's telling me, hey, just so you know, sometimes Adam doesn't come in 15 minutes early. So I was like, yeah, I know. I've done a show with Adam before. <laughs> like probably how many we've probably done like what 100 something shows together. I'm aware. I'm aware, Jordan. I know how it works. Just because you have to start the show late doesn't mean you have to pass on blame to to other people as well. Yeah, yeah. I love how he's like preemptively blaming me when he's the one screwing everything up. Always, always. Jordan, he's got to get his coffee ready. He's got to go to the bathroom. He oversleeps. He's got a lot going on. Anything else from the Nets here that stand out to you? Um, so the, uh, Aaron Campbell clarified he meant me. Uh, no, I, I actually um, I, I admitted that I was wrong on Twitter a while ago. CJ McCollum <laughs> has a lot more left in the tank than I thought he did. Yeah, and I think also it was a lot of advanced metrics didn't really value CJ McCollum very highly during the time he was in Portland. And a lot of like those kind of like whatever you want to call them, the catch-all value metrics. I think the fit next to Damian Lillard is not ideal for him. There was too much skill overlap. And now that he's in Portland, uh, now that he's out of Portland and in New Orleans, not playing with Damian Lillard, I just think it's a better situation for him personally. And I think that team's going to be awesome next year when they get, assuming they get Zion back. Yeah, I agree with that. But like, even when even when Lillard was out, McCollum just kind of like it seemed like he had lost a step in in uh, Portland. And so like when that trade happened, I kind of thought Larry Nance was like the most appealing piece for the Pels. I thought McCollum was kind of just a guy that was like interchangeable with Norman Powell. Um, CJ McCollum is a hell of a lot better still than I was giving him credit for. Yeah, and by the way, somebody asked me, do I think Jimmy Butler is cra- is trash? I like Jimmy Butler as a player. I just think he gets injured a lot and he's fun to make fun of. I, but in terms of Jimmy Butler as a player, the, I, I think I think he's a very good basketball player. Uh, moving on to the Celtics side of the game. And I think there are some guys here that kind of have depressed points, uh, price points. Jason Tatum, 9,500 on DK. We've got Al Horford, 6,400. Derek White off the bench at 51. I kind of think that he's in play because we did see a little bit more of a condensed Celtics rotation last game than what we saw at times down the stretch of the season, particularly when we got 45 minutes out of Jason Tatum, 41 and a half minutes from Al Horford, 40 minutes from Jalen Brown, 36 from Smart, 28 from Derek White off the bench. Do you think we could just expect this is the playoff rotation now? Yeah, and I think this like this series is really interesting um, as far as the playing time goes because – Obviously, you you project more minutes for main pieces of all of these teams because it's the postseason. But you have to keep in mind, too, it's round one. So a lot of these games don't really come down to the wire because a lot of times, you know, it's the eight versus the one or, you know, seven versus two. But here, when you talk about a team like Brooklyn, I mean, the seven seed isn't supposed to have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So this is like a real playoff series that, you know, you would get second or third round typically. So I think you do just need more minutes. Like you can count on more minutes from uh guys on both sides and then that goes to Tatum and Brown and Horford and smart. So um, it makes it a really appealing game, you know, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, obviously not very good defensively either. So um, that, that works in Boston's favor, but also just being able to rely on the minutes for those guys. Um, Derek white at 5,100, I think is still pretty risky because he's out there more for defensive reasons and, you know, not doing a whole lot offensively, but still likely to play enough minutes to at times pay off 5,100. Uh, but the other four Tatum, Brown, Horford, smart, I think all look fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's guys who are just kind of priced the same as they were in the regular season. Al Horford's slightly more expensive, but also keep in mind Robert Williams is out. And then also, I mean, if we're going to get 40-plus minutes out of all four of these guys, which seems seems within the realm of outcomes, I mean, they're just all a little bit underpriced and some of my favorite targets on the entire slate. 
Uh, do you think that you're going to have any kind of try to limit the amount of Celtics you're getting any individual lineup? Because I think if I just ran my projections as is, I haven't built any lineups yet, I would end up with a ton of exposure to Boston. Yeah, I mean, so somebody asked me on Twitter yesterday too. Um, on three-game slates, my general rule is just to cap teams at three. Um, I obviously change that, you know, depending on the slate. Like, if one team has six good plays and no other team has more than one, maybe I'll go four. But here, I think I'm probably capping it at three. Um, even though, you know, Boston has four guys that look very good and then another guy in white that looks fine. Um, it's still... When Tatum's nine, the, the way I think about it, let's say you have Tatum at 9,500, you have Smart at 5,800, you have Horford at 6,400. Do you really want Jalen Brown at 8,600? Or in that one particular lineup, would you rather go to one of the guys from Chicago or Milwaukee or, um, you know, Toronto? And, and that's kind of how I think about it is like, it's really difficult for all four of those guys to get there at the same time, even though from a median standpoint, all four of them look good. Yeah, that's uh, it. I, I, I'm curious if I just uploaded my projection, ran a crunch now, just totally unencumbered. I'm sure I would end up getting to some lineups with all four of them, maybe even with Derek White also, if I set no kind of restrictions, just because the, the minutes are going to be projected so high that it's going to make them look good on a points per dollar outcome. Uh, we have a super chat here from Jay Miz. He wants us to know, are we calling for a KD or a Kyrie game tonight? First of all, I wish I knew for sure, but if I had to guess which one is more likely, I'd say KD just because I think he's better than Kyrie. And I think that also the ownership projections we have right now might be a little bit too low on Kyrie just because he had such a big game last time. And I think that probably will influence more of the public when we just saw the same exact matchup. But if I had to guess one, I would guess KD. Do, do you have a, a lean either way? Yeah, I mean, my guess is KD for the reasons you said. Um, he's better, not 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 a knock on Kyrie at all, but KD's better than Kyrie. Um, and then also, you know, just you kind of typically see like, you know, one guy does it game one, the next guy does it game two. Uh, the one concern is like, if they continue to officiate the series the way they officiated game one, KD is going to be a very difficult time. And then is there anything else from Boston here that's worth getting to? Because like we were talking about, the rotation is so condensed. It's hard to imagine any of these bench guys have that much upside. Tice did start last game. He did get into some foul trouble, which limited his playing time a little bit. But is there anybody else outside of the the more important Boston pieces that you think is worthwhile? Uh, I mean, if you want to take some shots at Tice just because he's cheap and, and you're trying to get uh, some stars in your lineup, that's fine. I don't expect him to play a ton of minutes here. I expect low 20s again. Um, kind of the same thing for Grant Williams. Like, he's 3,600. He's not a great point-per-minute guy. He didn't play a ton of minutes last game. But he is, like, a good useful piece in Boston's rotation. If, for example, Al Horford were to get in foul trouble or they just decide they don't want to play Al Horford 42 minutes, like Williams, Williams is kind of like the next guy up if something happens to anybody ahead of him. So at 3,600, like there's at least a path, but, you know, not, certainly not talking about guys that I'm prioritizing in terms of Tyson Williams. All right, let's move on to the next game of First Guys. Do us a favor, like the video, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Does us a whole lot of good. And don't forget to follow Jordan on Twitter, at Jordan D. Klein. Big, big initiative by me is to get Jordan more followers because he thinks that nobody will want to follow him, prove him wrong, and follow him over on Twitter. Uh, next game here, we have the Philadelphia 76ers at the Toronto Raptors. And I thought this was a spot where Philly could struggle in games in Toronto because they're missing Matisse Thibel, but... It's ultimately not going to matter too much now because Toronto is dealing with all these situation injuries of their own where Scotty Barnes is likely out for the series. We've got Gary Trent Jr. dealing with uh, with an illness that has him questionable. 
But let's start with the Philly side because there's a couple of good payoff options here in Joel Embiid and James Harden. Of the two, which are you getting to more for this late? Um, $8,900 Harden, I think. So, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't built lineups yet, so maybe I'm wrong. But just looking at the pricing and thinking about this slate, you know, you have Giannis that you really want to get to. Um, Embiid is certainly a great option at 10-6, but Harden at 8900 is really cheap. Um, it was nice to see Embiid's usage rate get back to 34.5% last game. Uh, things kind of, you know, normalized in that first game you had like Tyrese Maxey leading the way you had Harden's usage rate um, up there Tobias Harris's usage rate was up last game you got 34 and a half percent for Embiid 17 for for uh, Maxey 19.9 for Harden 19.2 for Harris things you know kind of uh, normalized Embiid still didn't have a monster game but uh, certainly is capable of it but 8900 for somebody like Harden when you expect him to play 40 plus minutes and even if he's not getting a ton of usage, going to get a lot of assist opportunities. Um, I, I would rather go to the cheaper guy. Yeah, and then here's something in the, I'm on the same page as you. I just think on a points per dollar basis, Harden rates out a little bit better. And he's also just cheaper than the other stars on the slate with comparable upside. Here's something I've kind of missed out on in the series. I have not been really high on Tobias Harris or Tyrese Maxey. I've gravitated more towards Embiid and Harden. And we've seen the Raptors kind of make more of a concerted effort to make other guys outside of Embiid beat them. And as a result, we've seen more usage go to Harris and Maxi. Maxi in particular has played extremely well, but now both of them are a little bit more priced up after back-to-back uh, -back big games, particularly from Tyrese Maxi. How do you view them at their current salaries now? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're both secondary options to me still. I think that they're pretty much correctly priced. You can expect a lot of playing time from them. And the other thing to keep in mind is like, while Maxi's usage rate came down last game, the 17%, it's like 17% isn't bad if every shot you take is a wide open three pointer. So there's still upside there. And then obviously, you know, you could just get a game like game one where he gets more shots up, you know, Toronto really works hard to get the ball out of Embiid's hands and forces Maxi to beat them. So I do think that the way Toronto, I like the way Toronto wants to play this defensively is good for Tyrese Maxi. It's good for Tobias Harris. So I do like those guys in tournaments, especially at low ownership, but at the same time, the issue is that you're just going to have a lot of when you, when you look at other teams, you're going to have a lot of guys that are just like either not that much more expensive or even a little bit cheaper that we know are main parts of their team um, intentionally, as opposed to somebody like Maxi or Harris, where if Philly had their way, it's just Embiid and Harden taking every shot. Um, so that that's the concern. But at low ownership, I do still like these guys. Yeah, and by the way, as for the current projected ownership, we have uh, starting with on FanDuel, Tyrese Maxey is currently projected for 8% ownership. Tobias Harris projected for 15 Over on DK, we have Harris projected for 10% ownership, and Maxey is projected for 8 right now. So pretty modest ownership on both of them, on both sites, not the salaries, have started to come up a little bit. Uh, but now we don't have any Matisse Thibel for, for this game. The game is in Toronto. So because of the, the Canada VAX laws and just travel restrictions, he is not allowed to play across the border. Danny Green is likely going to start because he's been starting in other games. Does this make Danny Green a viable value play? Because I, I do think now, even though he isn't a good points per dollar producer, I expect a few extra minutes to go to him with the absence of Thibel. Or are you also projecting for that? Yeah, I think you get a few more minutes for Green. Um, Thibault only played 10 minutes last game, so that's worth noting. But and, and you also could get those minutes, you know, going to Niang. You could get them going to Shake Milton. But uh, 
Green played 37 minutes last game anyway. I think basically the way I'm viewing it is that it helps to solidify those minutes. I think that you see something similar to that again, as opposed to the 22 minutes that Green played in game one. Um, at 3,600, you know, yeah, Danny Green sucks from a fantasy standpoint, but there are guys to pay up for today, and he is only 3,600. So it's a spot where I think I probably just end up with a decent amount of Danny Green and and hope for the best. Um, he is projected for 34% ownership. So it is a situation where I don't mind in larger field tournaments, just rolling the dice on anybody that isn't 34% owned and just kind of, you know, hoping that they beat Danny Green. Um, but from a projection standpoint, he's underpriced given the playing time he's likely to get. Yeah. And then also, once again, there's so many stars to pay up for on this slate is Danny Green's not likely to go out and score 30 fantasy points, but 20 could be enough to be optimal on this slate when you just consider like James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, uh, Giannis. There's so many players to pay up for, and we need that value. Do you think it's reasonable to say like, hey, Danny Green could go out and only score 20 fantasy points on, on FanDuel and DK, but end up in an optimal lineup just because a couple of stars go off and there is such a hurting for value? Yeah, um, that that's like the big difference on tonight's slate versus last night's, I think, is like if you throw if you put Danny Green on last night's slate, obviously everything we're saying about him would be the same where he's going to play a lot of minutes. He's cheap and all of that. But he would be like P.J. Tucker, where I thought he was kind of more popular than he should be because you didn't really need to go that cheap um, tonight, though, you're, you're really getting a benefit if you go to some cheap guys, you know, getting Giannis into your lineups. Like, you know, last night, the highest projected guys on the slate were uh, Towns and Morant around like 50 DraftKings points. Tonight, you're talking about, you know, guys like Embiid and, and Giannis, where they're up around 60. So you just get more of a, a benefit by um, getting them into your lineup. And as a result, you don't need 25 from Danny Green. You just need like 18 to 20. And then you need Giannis to do what Giannis does. And then is there anybody else from the Sixers that you might want to stretch and get to in large field GPPs just because Thibel is out, whether Shake Milton or George Niang might play a couple extra minutes and that make them somebody that could that can end up putting up good value? Yeah, I mean, they're both, I think both guys like in theory make some sense when you're getting 34% ownership to Danny Green and you think about like, okay, if something goes wrong or for some reason Danny Green doesn't play 34 minutes, who's who's getting more? And the answer is one of Milton or... Uh, or Niang, I still have a difficult time really getting to them, I think, but um, that they would be the guys that if you are trying to play that angle where you say like, okay, well, I want to go in the Danny Green price range, but I don't want to play Danny Green. Um, and you're willing to just accept that like, you know, nine times out of 10, both of these guys are going to be awful. Um, th those are the guys that you would go to if you're, if you're trying to play that angle. All right, now let's talk about the Toronto side of the game where we do have the injury situation I talked about before. We have Scotty Barnes is not expected to play, officially listed as doubtful, but all indications are this is a, an injury that's probably going to prevent him from playing in the rest of the series unless it gets extended really late. Then we also have Gary Trent Jr., who's listed as questionable with an illness. What do you make of Trent for today? Because... Number one, it's an illness, and we don't know what the information is on the illness, but, I mean, he's been dealing with it for, what, five days now? So you'd think there's a good chance he's feeling better. He played last game. It was only 10 minutes, so there's clearly risk here, but his price has also come down. Do you view him as somebody who's a risky but viable tournament play just with the hopes that if he's in there, he's feeling better and is back to his normal self? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting spot, and it's a really difficult thing to project because – I don't have Gary Trent's phone number. I don't know how he's feeling. Um, <laughs> so 
like the fact that it's not an injury, like you said, you know, if even if it were an injury, like let's say it was a hamstring injury, you would kind of be talking about it the same way where it's like, okay, let's say Gary Trent starts and we know he's dealing with this injury in this case, an illness. Um, there's a good chance that he just gives it his all and his all isn't good enough. And he plays 10, 12, 14 minutes and you don't want him. But at 5k, if he is good to go, you know, he, he goes out there today and he's, he starts playing and he's like, Oh, you know, I, I, I feel like shit, but you know, I can, I can make it through. Then you want him at 5k because he's a good fantasy player and he's only 5k. Um, the, the, I, I guess the thing that makes him difficult is like, it's not like it's a binary thing where he either plays 10 minutes or he plays 38. Even if he plays 24 minutes, you probably don't want him at 5k. If he plays 25 minutes, you probably don't want him at 5k. So that's kind of the, the issue. And he is getting 21% ownership right now. Um, I think that could come down. I think it's really difficult to project ownership in a situation like this. Um, but if he's low owned, I like taking some shots on Gary Trent and just hoping that he feels fine. Um, I think the most likely case is that he ends up not being a very good play because I don't, I doubt that he just in two days goes from um, extremely sick to, yeah, I'm good to go play 38 minutes. So here's the other point too on Gary Trent and his ownership. And, and like you said, we do have him projected for uh, a healthy amount of ownership. No, no pun intended with the situation, but yeah, he's around 20% on both sides. But when people are building their lineups after what happened with Gary Trent in the last two games, sucked in game one, game two, he plays under 10 minutes, leaves with an illness. That is not going to be a button people are going to click. But at the same time, based on his regular season production, just from a projection standpoint, it's impossible to not project him well at his depressed salary when he is $5,000 over on DraftKings and then over on FanDuel trends is at 5,300. It's, it's impossible to not project him well if you're giving him his regular season minutes. So because ownership projections are going to be more math-based, it's just going to come out and not include the human element of, yeah, but this guy sucked last game and only played 10 minutes. So I think that ultimately Trent's probably going to be sub 10% owned. If you were asking me over under on this projection at e- easy under. Yeah, I agree with that. Assuming we don't get some sort of report, like Gary Trent feels fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, Gary Trent's, you know, outside running laps around the arena, he feels so good. Like then the ownership's going to look, uh, you know, more in line with what we have projected right now. But um, yeah, like, you can only do so much. Um, I, as far as I know, I don't know exactly what goes into our ownership projections. I'm pretty sure there is not a this guy is deathly ill button subtract ownership. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things there's just no mathematical situation for. But I think we should also discuss what happens if Gary Trent doesn't play. It was something we weren't expecting last game. We weren't expecting Fad Young, Gary Trent, or Scotty Barnes to play. Ultimately, Trent and uh, and, and Thad Young did get upgraded from uh, doubtful to questionable to in shortly before the game. But if Trent does end up sitting in addition to Scotty Barnes sitting, who would benefit the most from Toronto? So my assumption last game, um, both shows I did were assuming Trent wasn't going to play. Uh, yeah. My assumption was that you were going to get uh, Precious Achua and Chris Boucher in the starting lineup. That's my assumption again here. Boucher last game um, in the second half, Trent played the first two minutes and 25 seconds. He never came back. Chris Boucher never left the floor after that point. Boucher was also the first guy off the bench for Trent in the first half. So my expectation is that you would get that lineup. I know some people were saying, you know, Armani Brooks, Malachi Flynn. Um, Flynn did play 21 minutes off the bench. But based on the trends that we saw from Nick Nurse during the regular season, I think he's very comfortable going with a lineup that is just, you know, Fred Van Vliet and a bunch of six foot seven guys across the board. Um, I don't think he minds playing Siakam at the three alongside Boucher and Achua. So that would be my expectation. 
I know that Flynn sucked last game, but just because he played over 20 minutes with Trent uh, only playing 10, do you view him as somebody who could potentially be a contrarian option to get to if there's no Gary Trent? Because the minutes were there, and you'd have to figure he does more than than nothing again. I didn't hear who the question was about. I heard oh, Mal- Malachi Flynn. If Trent oh, okay. is out, would you view him as a deep GBP play just because he did get those 21 minutes last game? Yeah, at 3,900. Um, I, I think last game did show us that Flynn was ahead of Ronnie Brooks, clearly, because he played 21 minutes and Brooks played zero. Um, if Trent were out, like I, th- I think you could get more minutes from Thaddeus Young here. He only played eight minutes last game. I would expect Young to be cutting into Malachi Flynn just because, like, I – Again, I think that Nick Nurse is pretty comfortable, uh, you know, running Van Vliet slash Siakam at point guard. Like, you don't need Malachi Flynn. And I think that Young kind of just fits what Nick Nurse likes to do a little bit more. But at 3,900, you know, if you do happen to get 20 to 22 minutes from Flynn, uh, he certainly – he's going to beat Danny Green often enough to be worth a look in larger field tournaments as a flyer. Yeah, and as of right now, he's going to be projected for no ownership, but – that's also because we're assuming Gary Trent is in. If Gary Trent is in, then the, I think there's no reason to roster Malachi Flynn. Uh, on the high end of the Raptors, guys, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, we know they are going to be playing massive minutes. Fred Van Vliet is one of my favorite, if not my favorite play on the slate. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up being my most rostered player. Uh, are you on the same page as me when it comes to Van Vliet and how you handle? how are you going to handle Siakam as well? Yeah, I really like the price tags on both guys, but particularly Van Vliet. I mean, he just really stands out at 7,500 for somebody that you can expect to play 40-plus minutes. I mean, Toronto's a team where you really don't have to guess at what the playoff rotation is going to look like because Nick Nick Nurse just plays it all season long. So um, you can feel pretty confident in 40-plus minutes uh, from Van Vliet. 7,500 is is very uh, inexpensive for that. And the same goes for Siakam. You can count on 40-plus. We know he's a good point-per-minute guy, around 1.1 fantasy points per minute. Both of those guys look really good. Ananobi at 6,400, I think, is more correctly priced. Achua at 4,600, I think, more correctly priced. You know, it's worth keeping in mind that, yeah, there can be minutes there for him. He played 29 minutes without even stepping on the floor in the fourth quarter last game. But his rates and his production does take a pretty drastic hit when he plays alongside Pascal Siakam. So you have to keep that in mind as well. Um, So I think Achua and Ananobi... And, and Boucher, they're all playable. They're all fine, but I think more correctly priced, whereas Siakam and Van Vliet are still pretty clearly underpriced. Yeah, and I thought on, I thought Ananobi was a good play last week, but I was not expecting the kind of ownership he had. I, I don't remember the exact number, but in certain tournaments on DK, we saw over 50% ownership to OG Ananobi. And once again today, he's projected to be really popular, 36% ownership on FanDuel. And then on DK, project for 25, a little bit more more modest. So like you said, I think the price tag on him is about fair. And that makes me think the ownership here is a little bit too high, particularly on FanDuel. What do you make of the ownership on Ananobi? And also considering that he did end up being just crazy, crazy popular last late. Yeah, I mean, I think the price tag coming up a little bit probably drives that ownership down some. And then also um, just the fact that I think you do get a little bit more stars and scrub builds here. like I said, I think Ananobi's a good play. I think he's going to play a lot of minutes still, but I think probably a little bit lower on than he has been in, in recent games. And then anything else you want to talk about from the Raptors? I feel like we've kind of covered all the ins and outs of this game. Uh, no, I think that's that's about it. All right. Once again, guys, shout out to our sponsor, No House Advantage. If you guys are signing up at No House Advantage for the first time, use the promo code OSMO. 
All new users will get a $25 bonus on their first deposit. These are prop-based DFS contests. It's fun. You're building a prop card, and then you're labeling with a confidence interval. One through seven, the prop you're most confident in hitting, you give it the highest amount of points. If it wins, that's the amount of points your lineup score. So go check it out. Sign up using that promo code AWESOMEO, and a good, different, fun way to play DFS. We also have free projections for it up over on AWESOMEO.com. Let's move to the final game on the slate. It is the Chicago Bulls against the Milwaukee Bucks. This was a game that was surprisingly really competitive in game one for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, the Bucks were up by 20-something points in the first half, and then the Bulls went on a crazy run in the third quarter and actually briefly took, I believe, a four-point lead, and then the Bucks cut into that, took the lead towards the end of the quarter, and then that was kind of all she wrote for the rest of the game as the Bucks held on to win. But we're still seeing some depressed price points from Chicago, particularly on DK. DeMar DeRozan, 8,300. Vooch, 7,300. Levine, 7,200. Caruso, 4,300. I think all four of these guys make for really strong plays. Uh, do you see anything differently? No, I agree. Just really cheap pricing. I mean, Vooch is 7,300. Levine at 7,200. Knowing that these guys are going to approach 40 minutes um, and, and that they're you know, obviously very good point-per-minute guys. They're just underpriced. Same goes for DeRozan at 8,300 coming off of a game where he played like 43 minutes um, and he's around, you know, 1.1 fantasy point per minute guy. Uh, yeah, it's a difficult matchup as far as, you know, Milwaukee's good defensively and they're also heavy favorites at home, but really, really cheap pricing on Chicago here. I think if you were to say, okay, well, I don't want to play Danny Green type guys, I will forego getting... Joel Embiid and Durant and Giannis and I'm going to go more balanced I think you were relying very heavily on the Chicago pieces because those are the guys like along with Fred VanVleet along with Pascal Siakam those are the guys that can get you 50 plus um at you know a pretty cheap price tag yeah and is there any individual here that you're prioritizing the highest because I just think all of these guys are slightly underpriced like I don't think it's a situation where I'm looking at, you know, egregious misprice. Like I would, I'd call Fred Van Vliet's price an egregious misprice. These are just guys that I think are a few hundred dollars too cheap. So I'm likely going to get to a good amount of all of them. But is there any one of these players from the Bulls you're like, oh, this is definitely the best option? I think they're pretty similar to Van Vliet in the mispriced category. But comparing them to each other and comparing them to Van Vliet. No, there's not one that like really stands out. It's more so just like, oh, DeRozan fits here, Vooch fits here, uh, Levine fits in this lineup. I don't have a strong preference between them. I just think that they're all like $1,000 below where they should be. And then is there anybody else on this team that you really like? Because the way I'm viewing it is I really like those four Bulls players, and then everything else is just kind of in the trash bin. And they like, I don't really want to get to Kobe White here, Patrick Williams, Javante Green, it's it's just, I think so much of the playing time and production is going to DeRozan, Vooch, Levine, Caruso, that it doesn't leave much scraps left for anybody else, especially from a usage standpoint. But do you see it any differently? Or is there another cheap guy from Chicago that you do think is a, is a worthy GPP flyer? Uh, so, so just to quickly clarify too, because I didn't specifically say it, but um, yeah. Caruso also, I think a, a good value here. Like, I don't think he's underpriced to the extent that the other three guys are, but he's also just really cheap and likely to play a lot of minutes. As far as the other, um, as far as value, guys like Patrick Williams and um, Kobe White are kind of interesting to me just through the lens of Danny Green is getting 34% ownership. Kobe White's at 15, Patrick Williams is at 14. I understand why Green's getting more ownership, but 
those guys, like they, they both have their issues. You know, Patrick Williams, not a great point per minute guy. He's out there mostly for defensive reasons. Kobe White is certainly capable of filling up the stat sheet, but he's not asked to when he's playing with Levine and Vooch and DeRozan. So they both have their, their issues, but you're getting, you know, two to one ownership discount on these guys. I do like them in that sense, but no, I'm not confident in Patrick Williams. I'm not confident in Kobe White. Good question in our premium Discord channel from Ghetto Farmer Boy. That is a ghetto farmer boy. He wants to know if we'd be willing to play all three bull stars in the same lineup. Uh, I'm not probably not. It. I don't think I get it a lot though. Yeah. It's I'm not going to set a rule for it, but I just doubt it happens because th- there's guys around that price range that I like getting to today. You know, like Fred Van Vliet also being another strong one in that price point. And then, you know, I'm going to want to pay up a little bit to get to some of the other stars on this slate. We're about to talk about Chris Middleton on the other side of the game. So I, I don't think it's going to happen, even if I don't specifically set a rule for it. Uh, but it's it's not it's not something that I'm going to go out of my way to do either. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing that I was saying with, you know, why I'm capping the Celtics at three. Um, if I'm playing like one lineup and I'm really looking at what I'm playing, like if I already have DeRozan and Levine, or let's say I have DeRozan and, and Vooch, sure, I could play Levine, but why wouldn't I rather just play Fred Van Vliet and, you know, get 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 somebody from another team instead of somebody that's, competing with DeRozan and Vooch across 150 lineups. If that happens here and there, I don't really care. Um, you know, it's only a three game slate, but you know, if, so, so I'm not setting a rule against it. I, I don't think it's going to happen that frequently. Um, and if I were playing, you know, single entry, three max, something like that. Like if I look at my lineup that I'm putting into like the 2k or the 1k single entry and it has all three of them, I'm probably going to go, Oh, okay, well I'll just play a different lineup. So um, kind of depends on, on what you're playing too. And now let's go and talk about the other side of the game. And we've talked about a lot of payup options on the slate. The one we've not yet talked about is Giannis and Ted Tecumpo. So we have Giannis today. We have Joel Embiid. We have James Harden. We have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. Of all of those names, I have Giannis projected for the most fantasy points. I assume he's going to be the one I get to the most. And he's also not all that popular today either. We've got Giannis projected for 19% ownership on DraftKings. On FanDuel, he's projected for 25% ownership. I think the field's a little bit light on Giannis for a three-game slate, but how do you think he stacks up to the other stars that we've talked about? Number one. Um, I, yeah. I don't see any way around it. I mean, you have Chris Middleton, you have Drew Holiday, but Giannis isn't playing with the equivalent of a James Harden or a Joel Embiid or, you know, a Durant Kyrie. Uh, he's better, you know, point-per-minute-wise by a wide margin than somebody like Jason Tatum. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't think it's close. I mean, and, and he's not really expensive. Like, 10-9 for Giannis is underpriced. For sure, like he's a 12k player, so 19% ownership to me seems insane. Um, like I get it because there's other options to get to, but if you're going to get comparable owner, if you're if you're going to get similar ownership on you know Kevin Durant and Embiid and Harden, give me Giannis and I'll just jam him in everywhere I can. And the other thing too is that Giannis has better position eligibility than somebody like Embiid. So you could pay $300 more for Giannis, who I also have projected for more fantasy points than Embiid. And Embiid's only center eligible, and Giannis is small forward, power forward. So it's going to be a little easier to fit him into lineups just because he is more spotty to roster him. And so I don't really understand the ownership because, like I said, I have Giannis projected higher than Embiid, unless this is just something where a lot of a lot of projection sites have Embiid higher than Giannis. And that's the reason why. Uh, I don't really understand it. Giannis is going to be my preferred payup option on the slate. How do you feel about the other guys on on Milwaukee? Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton. I can't really prioritize either of them, but I definitely think they're good plug-in guys for for lineups. Like if they if they fit the amount of salary that's left over. 
Yeah, and as far as Giannis goes too, like if you had to make one one negative argument against him, it's that he probably isn't going to play as many minutes as guys like Durant and Embiid and Kyrie. But he produces at a better point-per-minute rate, and I do think he's likely to play more than the 33 to 34 minutes he played last game. Uh, Budenholzer decided that it was a good idea to just preemptively foul out his best player at the end of that game um, instead of letting him, you know, actually do it. So I, I do think that, you know, in a normal game, you're getting like 36 minutes or so from Giannis as opposed to 33. As far as the rest of the guys, I think Middleton looks good at that price. I think Drew looks good. I do think that, you know, your Fred Van Vliet, Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan type guys look a little bit better, but especially in lineups where you aren't getting to Giannis, you're still going to want exposure to to this Milwaukee team. I mean, they have a 118 implied total. It's the highest on the slate. If Giannis does have a mediocre game, there's a very good chance that it's you know, the Bulls did something to try and force Middleton or or Holiday to beat them. And they are pretty cheap for the minutes they're likely to play. So I think both of those guys look good. From a value standpoint, certainly no issues with, you know, getting to Brook Lopez at 4,800. I don't mind Pat Connaughton at 3,400. He's kind of in that Danny Green category where um, I'm not overly confident in, in him. He only played 18 minutes last game as well, but he's really cheap and he's going to let me get some other guys into the lineup that I really like. I, look for, I like Bruce Allen at 3,800. Uh, I like Brook Lopez quite a bit for this slate. He played 32 minutes last game and a price point that's about as cheap as we've ever seen a healthy Brook Lopez for, for reference opening day, which uh, was he, he played and started on an opening day for, for the box. He was at 5,900. Then he got hurt and missed almost the entire season and didn't return again until March. And then he was playing limited minutes. But I think it's just worth keeping in mind that he opened the season at 5,900 He's back to playing the role we were expecting, and now he's 4,800 on DK. Just once again, on a slate where we're hurting for value, I think Brooke Lopez is one of the better cheap plays, and there's clear upside here with Brooke Lopez, which when you talk about some of the other cheap guys we've we've gone through, like Danny Green, Alex Caruso, I, I think Brooke Lopez is slightly higher ceiling than those kind of guys, so I like getting to Lopez here. Uh, you mentioned Connaughton. Anything else that's worth looking at from the Bucs roster? Um. I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, Wesley Matthews actually closed that game, ended up playing like 27 minutes, but you're still talking about like one of the worst point-per-minute guys in the league. All right, uh, guys, do us a favor. Like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've gone through it all, all three games, and check out the rest of the content we have on the YouTube channel today. We've got the MLB Live Before Lock. We've got the MLB Strategy Show, NBA Deeper Dive, NBA Live Before Lock. And of course, don't forget to follow Jordan Klein on Twitter at Jordan D. Klein. The most important takeaway you could have from today's show. Good luck. I'll see you guys later.